the Evolved Succeed podcast where founders, entrepreneurs, business leaders and experts are interviewed to explore the link between personal and business success. We will also investigate and establish the need for ongoing personal development, accountability and support. The objective is to inspire you, the audience, to be better in life and in business. Welcome to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. My guest this week is Steve Witt, co-founder of travel companies, Not Just Travel and The Travel Franchise, which are both among the fastest growing UK companies in the travel sector. Steve is passionate about life, business and the travel sector and has had, as you'll hear during the course of this podcast, to overcome several significant challenges during his own personal journey. You'll also hear today, he's a great example of determination, resilience, and single-minded focus. Specifically, in the podcast, Steve reveals the disillusionment he experienced after selling his first company. The day of the sale, I don't know what built up in my head, but I was expecting trumpets, red carpet, all these sort of, you know, excitement. The biggest disappointment ever. Discusses the challenges of franchising your business. It starts off easy and seems easy in the beginning, but the bigger you get, the the more you think, if only I'd done it differently at the beginning. And gives a fresh perspective on the difficulties that all businesses are facing at the moment. You have to understand the complications and risks associated with COVID and you know um, the challenges that face a business right now, any business, not just ours. But it doesn't mean you can't be positive and use it as an opportunity to expand and grow rather than think we need to hunker down and contract. I really do hope you're enjoying the Evolve to Succeed podcast. And if you want further access to insightful content, details of our webinars and inspiration, as well as details of previous episodes, then please do go to evolvemembers.com and register for free to become a supporter and be part of the Evolve community. However, for now, let's just get on with the show. Welcome, Steve, to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. Brilliant. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you on a guest. I want to start with um, some of the background in your early days, because I think there's this misconception out there, Steve, that you need to be brash, loud, have this ego to be an entrepreneur, and you openly describe yourself as the shyest person you'll ever meet. Uh, absolutely. Everything you've just said. Yeah. The opposite of, basically. <laughs> and reading a bit of your background, not being confident at a young age, having some speech therapy and speech issues, you described yourself also as a geek that studied hard and as a result progressed in life. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. The geek, definitely. I do love technology and I've hidden behind technology to save myself having to talk, I think. That was always the, the why I love technology so much. Yeah. And so why do you think those early experiences have shaped you so much? I think it forced me to think about things differently, always trying to find solutions to problems. I've always tried to avoid having to talk, always tried to avoid having to be in public spaces, in groups. So I've always tried to do online things and yeah, hide behind technology, like I said, and, and avoid doing all the things which just really were not my comfort zone um, to the point where... I found out you can't. Um, yeah. So I had to put myself in those uncomfortable positions and that learned, that taught me a huge amount. Yeah. So wh when was that on your journey that you, do you think you realized that you, you know, to a certain extent you could hide behind the technology, you could build a business that was somewhat in the shadows, but when did you really realize, when was the moment of truth that you thought, I've got to get out there? Bizarrely, it, nothing to do with business. No, I mean, school, I was always the geek and the hid every opportunity. I was just the, the, at the back, quietest person in the world, avoided public speaking. But I, very few people know this, but I was actually a fireman or firefighter for five years Wow! Uh, after I left school. And that's the bit that changed my life. And that's the bit that really got me out of my comfort zone. Because not only am I the shyest person in the world, I'm also petrified of heights. Okay. So becoming a firefighter was not the smartest move in the world. It was a strange career choice. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you had to step out of your comfort zone to go yeah. up a ladder. The first thing I ever had to do to join the fire, fire uh, brigade was actually climb a ladder to a third floor and lean back as far as you can, let go of the ladder. And you've, I've never been so scared in my life. And mm -hmm. that started the journey of, right, if you want to do this, you've got to step out of your comfort zone. Wow. 
So that was the moment that you started to push yourself. I think so, yeah. So five years in the fire service, yep. that's something I knew, so that's, yeah. that's, that's great to learn. And uh, why leave the fire service? Well, uh, um, in Dorset, uh, most, or actually across the country, most firefighters are actually retained, so mm. they, they work off a bleeper. So I was able to to do that while also studying. I went to uni to do a business studies degree in the evenings while trying to start my own business at the same time. So it was trying to do all those things and realize eventually couldn't do everything. So I took a step back from the fire service to actually then focus on starting my own business. Okay. And that was the business you now have or was it something completely different? No, my dad taught me to always say yes to everything and work it out later. So I worked in a corner shop and uh, the guy who owned the corner shop, he was quite entrepreneurial. He said he wanted to expand. He wanted to do some marketing locally, asked me if I knew anyone who could do uh, some design and marketing for him. I said, yeah, I can do that for you because I got a C for GCSE art. So I thought I'm an expert. That's that's the qualification you need. Absolutely. So uh, that's where I started. And that started my first business, which was a design and marketing agency for small businesses. Okay. Which sounds very grand. It was one person. And I worked out of the uh, back room of his shop, building his leaflets for him. That's that's where it started. Wow. So yeah, that started me on the entrepreneurial journey. Wow. So how old were you then? Uh, I must have been 21 at that point. Okay. So how did you find yourself getting into the travel industry then? Long journey. So from design and marketing, that led me to uh, doing some design work for a cyber cafe. Now, this was so many years ago, no one knew what the internet was back yeah. then. So this was well, 20 years ago, probably. Yeah. Um, quarter of a million people in the UK online. But this person opened a cyber cafe, wanted me to do the marketing. That led me to... Um, hosting a launch event for them which was really successful people wondering what the internet was and people saying how do i get web pages up on this internet thing i said don't worry i can do that for you didn't have a clue what to do because i didn't even have a modem your dad's advice again and said yes yes, work it out later uh my first client was north dorset district council so i built their first website uh, and started small started small (laughs) and i my other philosophy in life that i was taught was don't try and reinvent the wheel just copy yeah. and then work it from there so i sort of just worked out how to build websites by copying other people's websites that led me to creating an internet business for building websites one of the the first in the uk so that was great focusing more on design i outsourced techie stuff to uh, a company up in blackpool and we worked on many many projects together We started working on a project for a telecoms company. They wanted to build a website. And I was still very naive, like 21, 22 at this point. Didn't know how to charge for things. And we put a quote in for build this website for for the telecoms company. And something at the last minute made me just add an extra naught to the end of the quote. Very gutsy thing to do. Never done anything like in my life. And they said yes. So that springboarded us into building this bigger uh, web design company built great relationship with the telecoms company but this whole sort of entrepreneurial sort of thought process was growing we always started thinking how can we do this better what can we do differently and driving between dorset and blackpool had a huge amount of time in the car yeah time to stop think and reflect i assume well that and also to listen to audio cassettes yeah it was cassettes back then um, and I borrowed a course from a friend of mine who had an Anthony Robbins cassette yeah. tape. And um, so didn't know who he was, but turns out, you know, the world's best guru for, you know, coaching. And I listened to this course every time I was in the car. I couldn't afford the next course. I got to have this one course, listen to it over and over again on repeat. And it just taught me to ask a better question. Okay. And to not have limitations. So I'm still the shyest person in the world, but I was thinking, how can we do things better? How can we do things differently? And that led us to actually think about how can we create something different for this telecoms company? The internet was taking off and there was all sorts of things we were looking at together. So we actually set about building the first ever free internet product because this was back in the days of free serve and you dial-up modems and yeah, we those days the pages would come in line by line by line by line yeah. exactly so we actually created the first subscription-based internet service where you dial a free phone number to access the internet okay so 
that was sort of our claim to fame, if you like. Yeah. Um, built that up and uh, amazing success with that, which was great. But it turns out I didn't like living in Blackpool. Right. Have you, <laughs> nothing wrong with you Blackpool. Got, you grew up down here on the south coast then, did you? Absolutely. And when I moved up there, because I moved for work in the end, I thought, well, Blackpool's by the beach. Yeah. You know, must be nice. Not quite the same as living down no, it's not quite as warm and sunny, I'd imagine. <laughs> so um, I lasted about a year up there. Okay. Decided I didn't like it and I was looking for a way to move back down. And I went to a chance meeting for a client who wanted to build a website for a travel company. Took me to the office of this travel company to sort of learn about what we needed to do for the website. And they were looking to buy a franchise for a, this travel company. And in the end, the client decided they didn't want to start the travel company. So I thought, well, that seems easy. I can do that. And then I can move my business or move myself back down to uh, to okay. Dorset. I can take a back seat in the internet company because that's doing well. I'll just take a back seat and start a travel company because, hey, it must be easy. And did you have a passion for travel? The only place I'd ever been in the world was Lanzarote. Okay, well, come on to that because <laughs> that links with one of your other passions in life. <laughs> right, so no... No real passion. So it didn't start a business out of passion. So, so kind of a sliding doors kind of moment, possibly. It was more the opposite because it was more, I really wasn't enjoying the internet company. As successful yeah. as it was, I wasn't enjoying it because of location and just the pressure of, yeah. of doing it and building it. So I was looking for an easy option in life. Yeah. And yeah, like I say, travel seemed like an easy option. Everybody <laughs> likes travel, don't they? So we'll go with that. If you knew what you knew, knew. Now. exactly. <laughs> it, it wasn't strategic. It wasn't necessarily logical. It just seemed like a good idea. Yeah. Wow. So, so you, you're there, travel company, internet business. What actually? Let's finish that. So, what actually happened to that in the end? Then the web business. So it grew and grew, and we actually we ended up with multiple projects on the go because we were, we were making good money and uh, this was back in the the height of the dot-com boom um so if you remember back when last minute floated yeah we were in front of 3i at the time who were the people who floated uh, last minute yeah. and they valued our company at some silly amount yeah. of money, like 40 million so you can imagine the smile on our face that day but they wanted us to streamline what we were doing so we actually stopped doing the internet-y stuff and ended up focusing on our domain registration and web hosting company okay. or side of things yeah so i became a proper geek in the background learning about web hosting yeah and ended up having to actually take back over the internet company from my business partner at the time because of health reasons so i ended up taking a backseat in travel for a little while okay came back into the internet company building up the web hosting company and then was lucky enough to sell that to – we'd grown to being sort of the fourth largest web hosting company in the UK, uh, if not Europe at the time, which was great. And we basically – for anyone else to grow, they had to either do a lot of customer acquisition or acquire another company. So we were lucky enough to sell out to the third largest internet company yep, in Europe at the time. Things happen when consolidation takes place. Exactly. Yep. And that enabled me to – Obviously, make a bit of money, which is yeah. great, and um, then focus on the travel business. Yeah. And how did that moment of realization feel when you exited the web business and hosting business? So the build-up to it was exciting, mm. amazing. Thinking about the money that was going to come was great. You know, the weekends before, going out, looking in the car showrooms yeah. and everything. And then the day of the sale, I don't know what built up in my head but i was expecting trumpets red carpet all these sort of you know yeah. excitement the biggest disappointment ever yeah and you know so money in the bank say but, that yeah, yeah just such yeah, it's a climax exactly kind of effect. and the next day they turned off my emails uh, yeah. yeah i had nothing to do hero to zero yeah but with some money in the bank to reinvest and true but go again the money's not ever been my motivator which so the money didn't worry me so much it was just a fact right I'm absolutely bored. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm going to really get into this travel industry now yeah. then. Well, that wasn't my first reaction, to be fair, okay. because I didn't think I'm going to get into the travel business because I'd had to take a back seat in it. It was running. Yeah. So I, I wasn't that involved. Okay. Um, for that, at, the, at that point in time. So I'd sort of back so seat in put a management team in. They were doing their thing. Yep. 
that was kind of ticking over. Correct. Well, we sort of had four business partners at the time to okay. start the travel business. Um, so they were left running it. And yeah, um, yeah like I say, I, I was twiddling my thumbs. So be interesting just to touch on something here because both with you know the tech web business for a period of time and the travel business, you've managed to step out of those, yep. delegate, let go and let others run it for you. Now that's quite a skill. Why do you think you're able to do that? It is a skill. I would say I'm able to do it now, but back then, not the same. Right. So yes, that was happening, but it was more of me just taking a back seat and saying, crack on yeah. without strategy. And though the business partners I had at the time, absolutely fantastic, love and pieces, um, but we weren't on the same page with the direction we wanted to go. Okay. So I sort of left them running it with no real expectations um, and no strategy and plan in place. Right. So yeah, it was It was more, here's the thing I'm going to go and do now. Yeah. That's okay. I'll leave them to it. Yeah. Than a plan. Correct. And you say now you would do it, I'll do do it differently. So what have you learned to do? Well, now we've grown such a, a big business. I've learned that you have to delegate. You, you can't do it all. Yeah. I am a control freak, as everyone will tell you. Um, yeah. Most people that own a business deep down when they admit it are. <laughs> it, absolutely. And it, but it's taken me a long time to actually admit it and yeah. to accept I can't do everything. So now it's a case of if we want to grow the business, we actually do have to step back because actually we're causing more problems yeah. and harm than good by being a control freak. Okay. Well, let's just tell the listeners a bit about the two businesses at yep. the moment. So where are you? Let's ignore COVID for a moment. Pre-COVID, <laughs> where were we at with the travel businesses? So we created initially a, a travel business called Not Just Travel, which um, I say we, it's myself and my business partner, Paul. So we've built a very successful travel business which initially was selling on Teletext, if we remember Teletext. Yeah, we all did. We used to yeah. go there to look for holidays. Exactly. We? And it, you know, page 220, I think it was. And yeah. we became top sellers on tra- uh, on Teletext. And we grew fantastically well, but we were spending a fortune on marketing. Mm-hmm. And we got to the point where we were not enjoying that um, because you were spending so much money on marketing, very cutthroat, um, back in – Early years, I you know I was used to rejection because I did a lot of internet dating, but <laughs> the rejection on phone calls selling holidays was hard to handle, and it was like so low conversion rates. We thought there's got to be a better way than this, so we actually decided that we wanted to exit teletext and that type of marketing and find a better way to find customers where it wasn't about actually advertising and all about price we wanted to give great customer service and give a great experience so we found better ways local market friends family people we know phone calls you know dropped to a tenth of what they were but our profits went through the roof and our enjoyment factor went through the roof so actually this is good so then we decided right now we've got that model we want to grow how do we grow what's the best way to grow how do we grow quickly so we hit upon the idea of franchising our business. Okay. So we now have two sides of the business. We have not just travel, the travel agency. Which is a core cool travel agency, as you'd expect. Correct. And we have the travel franchise, which is where we recruit people to actually start their own travel businesses. So we actually now bring people in, typically people who've never worked in travel before, okay. probably never worked in sales before, first-time entrepreneurs, and we teach them how to run a small business. And so we actually like to say we're more of a training and entrepreneurial sort of incubator than we are a travel company because we're actually teaching people to be entrepreneurs. It just so happens travel is the product. Yes. So not just travel. We don't actually sell holidays ourselves. Everything is done through the the franchisees, the home workers, and we teach them to be successful entrepreneurs. Wow. So we've grown to be the number one homeworking travel company in the uk we've won the accolade five years in a row fantastic. which is fantastic uh, as far as we can tell it's difficult to get stats we're the fastest growing travel company in the uk certainly in our sector and the fastest growing franchise as wow. well wow so that <laughs> what, what great accolades it's yeah i mean it, you have to pinch yourself to do it but it's the great thing there's you know i think if we look back 10 years ago 15 years ago 
couldn't have imagined having mm. created this success. Would like to have think I could imagine it, but couldn't. No. Um, and it wasn't until I sort of got into partnership with Paul, my business partner, that it really took off. And we were able to grow the business because of the the way that we work together and the sort of, you know, I am the shy person. Mm. I am the back office operational person. Yeah. And he's the amazing salesperson that has driven you know, the sales growth from the, the franchise recruitment. Okay. And then together, uh, we formed this great sort of partnership where we have the same values. We're, we're chalk and cheese if you met us. Yeah. But actually behind the scenes, the values and the way that we want to grow the business is exactly the same. Which is so important in a business partnership. A successful business partnership is often defined as a like a successful marriage or yeah. relationship, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. And you've got to complement each other, haven't you, in Definitely. terms of skill sets. Yeah. You don't clash and want to do all the same things. But there's a lot of people out there that think they could franchise their business. So is there some top tips on, because it's not an easy path, is it? it? It seems like, okay, well, if I can take my model and I can sell my business model to others to do the same, they pay a franchise fee, they pay some income, you know, recurring income comes in, but it sounds easy, but it, from experience of others, seeing others do it, it's not. So. It, it's absolutely not. It starts off easy and seems easy in the beginning okay. um, but the bigger you get the more you think if only i'd done it differently at the beginning okay because i guess it's like any business but when you're small and when you're a small team you can lean across the desk and talk to somebody yeah and the small you know you, you grow a bit more and you just you know then communications get a bit harder yeah. but you can still just talk to one another now we've recruited over 750 franchisees we uh head office team and it just gets so complicated mm. to communicate, to have process, because yeah. franchise is about a process. And you, you've got to try and duplicate process. So you think you've got it all locked down, and you think there's only, you know, you've defined the process, there's only one way to do this. Turns out there is only one way to do it, but there's 750 variations of that yeah. one way. <laughs> so that's why I'm so grey now. But <laughs> it's incredibly, it's fun to do, but you you do sort of think if only i'd started a little bit differently okay so what would you have done differently we would have got the operational process locked down from day one okay and this is the training program this is how to do it this is the operational manual right. there's only one way to do it really clear rules and process and that's it and it sort of you build it into the culture from day one as opposed to try and shoehorn it in later but sometimes you just got to seize opportunity. And as your dad obviously taught you, say yes, work it out later. Comes Absolutely. Comes into play as well, doesn't oh, it? Totally. And one kind of is yin and yang, isn't it? Absolutely. And I think as much as I say we would have done it differently, there's yeah. no way we could have done it differently. No. Because the the bit of the story I didn't mention was after I sold the internet company, and this is how I got to meet my, my business partner, Paul, I invested in a friend's business, which was a, a property company and a, and a sort of travel company if you like but because of a friend of mine everything you touched turned to gold so i didn't do any due diligence i just assumed it would work mm. i took most of my money invested and turns out it wasn't such a good idea right. so myself and uh, paul had both invested separately we didn't know each other at the time and we both lost a phenomenal amount of money yeah so we had to bootstrap the the franchise business right. basically. So we had no money. You know, great story behind us about success, but literally we just burnt all our money. Yeah. So we had to start afresh. So lean startup mentality kicks in. Exactly, it? and we always tell the story how um, you know the first franchise, a fraction of the cost it is now, uh, and Paul was due sort of a hundred and fifty pound commission uh, at the time for for selling the franchise. I couldn't afford to pay it. Yeah. You know, so our our marriage almost split up at that point. You know? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, these days it went from seven hundred and fifty pound for a franchise. It's now average price about fifteen thousand, right. up to thirty thousand, and yeah, such a different, wow. different Beast. story now. Yeah. And I suppose you must have the benefit of running a franchise while running your own travel agency as well, so you do see what's happening in the market. You know, and again, we'll come on to COVID, but what destinations are proving popular, what the trends are, and that helps you then advise your franchisors. Yeah, absolutely. Because we have so many franchisees, we are selling probably more than most other travel companies. Yeah. So we can see patterns, we can see what's working. 
it is different than a high street or an yeah. online business. So the trends are different. But you know, we 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 built the business around what we thought we would want. Hmm. In fact, because actually we'd started our travel business as a franchise of another company. Okay, we're able to see what didn't work. Yeah, no offense to them because they they got got started. So you know, yeah. hats off to them for that. But there was very little communication, very little coaching and training. And we thought, well, if it wasn't for us, this wouldn't work. And most people won't have had our experiences. So we learned, right, this is what we need to put in place. So training and support became our number one thing as part of the setup of the franchise. Um, And then continual sort of mentoring and coaching thereafter. Okay, brilliant. Let's move on to that C word then. (laughs) (laughs) So 2020, one of the reasons I wanted you on the podcast is just looking at you know what I've seen where you've posted things on LinkedIn and you seem to have embraced the challenge yep. and pivoted and supported your industry. So tell us a little bit about what 2020 has been like for you, Steve. Well, it started very well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> In travel, you have peaks. It's sort yeah. of the January when everyone books their holidays. So January, February was phenomenal. Our, our best you know period ever. As you can imagine, we've just built and built and built and we remember it well because march the first we'd hosted our biggest ever recruitment drive in london we'd had uh, we'd uh, hired a big venue we'd had loads of people booked to come along to uh, potentially you know start their own franchise we had uh, daily thompson who's our brand ambassador there uh, we had john and irene hayes who are like quite famous in travel these days for saving yeah. thomas cook they were there so Big event, but literally that whole weekend in the run-up to that, everyone started talking COVID. Everyone yeah. started talking of what's that coming. Uncertainty started to emerge that Correct. weekend. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, you know there was a train strike as well, so it all was a bit sort of chaotic. Um, so the event didn't go as planned, and that was our first sort of oh, this is not looking good. Yeah, March seventeenth came, and uh, everyone goes into lockdown. Everyone's told not to to travel. Which obviously, you know, we're used to things happening in travel and countries sort of getting blocked for whatever reason. Yeah. You know, that is, that does happen. That's way of life. Yeah. Isn't it? yeah. You know, and Thomas Cook had gone gone bust back in October before. And we have processes for all of that type of thing. We're very good at a crisis. Mm-hmm. But no one could have imagined to this, this scale. Yeah. Every single holiday for months ahead was cancelled. But not only was it cancelled, there was so much uncertainty as to what that meant. Could you rebook? Could you not? Um, mm. Will you get a refund? Will you not? Someone compared it to me um, saying it's a bit like owning a restaurant and every meal you'd served in January, February, March, you've got to refund and you can't earn any money for the next few months. So it wasn't just a case of you're not good, you've got to stop trading. It's like yeah. you've got to stop trading and you've got to refund yeah. everything you've already done which was such a huge operational process. Yeah. Let alone, forget the the expense. The the industry works on, you know, no one ever gets cancelled holidays, or hardly anyone, you know. Yeah. One out of a thousand, let's say. Yeah. And usually they're insured when yeah. they do. Yeah, and, so. and the process works, you know, yeah. because you have one person in your entire team that deals with refunds occasionally. Yeah. And it went from one out of a thousand to a thousand out of a thousand was yeah. cancelled. And there was... No processes in place for this, not just from our side, but from the operators we mm. worked with, because straight away they'd all furloughed their staff. Yeah, so there's no one to talk to, yeah. um, and you know the few people there were were just inundated, and then you know it just becomes a, a spiral and a and you're stuck there in the middle, really, yeah. is that with the, the individuals with the customer relationships and trying to support your franchisees as well, correct? But not getting the responses, I assume, at the some of the big travel. Co- Absolutely. So you've got, whether it be a cruise company or a tour operator, you can't talk to anyone, you can't get the refund, they've got too many refunds to process. If they actually refunded the money, they'd all go broke Mm. because they don't sit on the money. And then it's a case of, well, the customer has a relationship with us and our our franchisees, not with the tour operator. So the the customer's blaming us. Mm. We have no control over the refunds. So you see all these reports on the news and you just kind of feel sorry when you see these customers complaining about... Mm. The, the person they booked the holiday with because that person actually has no control but the customer doesn't realize that no. and they wouldn't do and you can't no. blame them for that but their um, relationship is with yeah their 
booking agent. Yeah, and all you want to do is refund the money, but we can't refund the money, no. you know. So it then becomes a, a process and a battle to to try and help the customer. So yeah, it was interesting times. Yeah, trying to come up with a plan and a strategy, not just to look after the customers who are a priority, but now you've got hundreds of home workers, travel yeah. consultants, wondering what happens next. They're all looking to you for guidance. Mm. And like, well, we've never experienced this before. Yeah. So it's a case of what do you do? Yeah. And they've so, all paid for franchises, haven't yeah. they? So they're all looking at, this is my income stream. Correct. You're the franchisor. Yep. Help. Can I? Yeah. So what did you do? Um, good question. <laughs> <laughs> so um, there was there was moments when you just sit and you think, oh, what do you do? There's moments of yeah. mild panic. There's yeah. moments of um, chaos. But... We very quickly got into a groove of having massive communication. So we over-communicated with everybody, whether it be yeah. customers, internal corporate team, franchisees. Um, so we we preempted. We knew lockdown was coming. It's really interesting, isn't it? Because I, I talked to our team internally and talked to clients about, you know, there was a time when you needed to seize control and control the narrative. Yeah. And you only can do that by being communicative. Yeah. Getting out there and telling the story and sharing and supporting your clients by communication. Correct. So we we moved everyone to work from home, obviously, very quickly. That was in yeah. hand. And straight away, we started to implement um, twice daily briefings internally. We had management briefings. We had corporate team briefings. We had field briefings with um, all the, the franchisees every single day. So we were continually just pushing out you know, this is what we're doing, this is how to communicate. So no one felt alone. Um, so that was really important. And yeah. we realized that a lot of people were hurting and a lot of people were worried and scared, you know, not knowing what to do, what to say. Um, how do you deal with unhappy customers? Because normally in travel, everyone's happy because you're yeah. selling dreams. Yeah. And now all you've got is unhappy customers. So, you know, it's having to teach people what to do, yeah. uh, keep people motivated and doing all that while still trying to come up with a plan and trying to think, right, how long is this going to last and what do we do and how yeah. do you make the money last? And Yeah, and what's our new pivot for the business? Yeah. And, and then I suppose during the course of the, for a period of time, late spring, early summer, it looked like the travel industry was going to get going again. Yep, so there was this sort of uh, anticipation of excitement. There was going to be the second peak. Of, yeah. um, you know, there was going to be uh, people getting to book last-minute holidays. Yeah. So we'd had sort of daily conversations about will it happen, will it won't. We work closely with Hayes because we're part of a buying group. Yeah. Um, so we sort of having regular conversations with John and Irene Hayes about plans and projections of what would be happening. But we aired on the side of caution. So we never got too excited about it mm. um, because we didn't know it was going to happen. Whereas a lot of the industry did get excited thinking it was going to happen. So we kept our projections low and planned for it to be low. Yeah. So that when you could travel, anything we got was a bonus. Okay. Rather than having spoken to lots of other people in travel, they were very disappointed that the second wave didn't come. Yeah. We weren't. Right. And as a result, we were actually trading up about 20% compared to our sort of competitors. Yeah. So okay. That was good. And we sort of, all the time we're teaching, training, coaching people what to say, what to do, what to plan for, how to find customers in this situation. Um, because it is tricky. You yeah. Know, now you, you've got to pivot. Customers have to pivot. You know, you're planning to go to Turkey. Oh, no, you can't go to Turkey. Right. Where can we go now? Yeah. You know, with a day's notice. So and it's just being having the information at hand to be able to support your, yeah. your clients isn't yeah. it? and customers. Yeah. So you've launched a podcast as well. Correct. Yes. Yeah. So um, we actually launched a number of things to try and keep the focus on positive news. And yeah. people obviously can't travel. So what can you do? Well, you can sit at home, you know, during lockdown, you yeah. literally couldn't go anywhere. But people are still wanting to travel and yeah. look and think, well, where can I travel once I can travel? Yeah. So it was a great opportunity for us to actually launch a podcast. We've been talking about it for a long time. Yeah. Um, if anyone has the resource to or to, to know about destinations and uh, you know what to talk about, it should be a travel company like us. So we used it as an opportunity for the corporate team, but also to involve our franchisees. So we get them guesting as sort of hosts on the podcast. So we launched back in April. We do two episodes a week, and it's been phenomenally successful. What's the podcast called? 
the travel podcast. <laughs> nice and simple. Like That's what it simple. says on the yeah. tin. One seal. Yeah. Brilliant. As a business owner, I mean, we've all been challenged this year, you know, but there's particular industries, you know, retail to a certain extent, but hospitality and travel are the two. You've built this business. Was there a moment that you really were scared it was going to come, you know, the journey was going to come to an end? Um, no, never had that belief from day one was always focused, always knew it was going to be successful. Right. Didn't know how it was going to be successful. Yeah. And don't necessarily know what will happen with COVID and how it will yeah, change. pan out. But we know we'll keep evolving and changing yeah. to fit. Great. And what do you think, I know, I know you, there's no crystal ball, but do you think there is a pent-up demand out there for people to travel? Do you think there will be a wave at some point, whenever that may be, and the crystal ball is when it will be, but... Do you think there is a pent-up demand? Oh, there is more demand than ever. Yeah. So there is this belief that people aren't traveling right now. Well, they are. Um, if you go to the airports, the planes are full Yeah. for the destinations you can go to. Yeah. That's the challenge. It's it's a limited destination, limited choice, but those who want to travel will travel right now. So our last-minute bookings are still very high. Bookings for next year, phenomenal in a normal sort of situation, you'd be over the moon with the level of bookings we've got for next year. Yeah. Um, so we've got more future bookings uh, for sort of planned bookings than we've ever had. Right. So that's great. Brilliant. Now they may change and evolve and have yeah. to move again, but there are so many people. So you've got people who rebooked because they couldn't go this year and you've got people seizing the opportunity of great deals because yeah. operators are putting in place great deals to get people to book. So, Absolutely, there's a demand. And I mean, we've seen people criticize, is now a good time to invest in a franchise or a travel yeah. franchise? Because, you know, you could say, well, no, it's not because people aren't traveling. Well, the reality is they are traveling. Last month, we paid out our highest level of commission to our franchisees than we have done all year. So Great. the business is still very strong. The industry is still very strong. It's the world's largest legal industry, or certainly was before COVID, you know, it's multi-trillion dollar industry, they quote yeah. it as. It's probably only operating at 40% of its capacity right now, but 40% of the world's biggest industry is still a very big industry. Yeah, and if you've got a decent share of it and you're growing that share and you're forward thinking, yeah, then you can you can still grow your business. Correct. And I think that's where, you know, we, we come in for some criticism about being positive all the mm. time. Now, being positive doesn't mean you can't also be realistic yeah. and you have to understand the complications and risks associated with COVID and, you know, um, the challenges that face a business right now, any business, not just ours, but it doesn't mean you can't be positive and use it as an opportunity to expand and grow rather than think we need to hunker down and contract. Mm. And don't get me wrong. We, we have done a lot of things to reduce our costs and, um, you know, reduce operational footprint etc but at the same time we've committed to expanding so that when it comes back to as it was we are class leading and i think there's a lot of businesses out there doing that aren't they they're looking at their cost base they're getting lean but a lot of businesses are also getting lean with a view that actually the world is going to be different whatever industry you're in it's going to be different yeah. for a period of time even if at some point some normality returns, what that normality looks like. So people are getting lean, but some of the business owners and entrepreneurs that I work with are already thinking, I'm lean now. Right, when I reinvest, this is what I'm going to do. This, yeah. this, this is the person I'm going to need next. And they're forward thinking. Correct. And I was always inspired by, I don't know if you've ever read the Richard Branson biography, Losing My Virginity. Yes. So yeah. I think there's a, a bit in the book where it talks about how back against the wall hmrc was chasing him for massive debts yeah you know. unpaid vat i think it yeah was, wasn't so it? Yeah. about to go bankrupt so what does any sensible person do at that point you go and buy a fleet of 747s yeah and he used it as an opportunity to rethink the business and that's what created the virgin air you know yeah. airline that we know today so we've seen or tried to look at the same opportunities how can you use this now to change what you do and mix it up and expand so we've just recruited a new head of operations and experience we've just recruited a new chief business development officer you know so we're expanding out of these times as opposed to contracting brilliant you've got a really positive mindset how do you keep that positive mindset i think i'm lucky because i have a, a great business partner who 
I think I work better with a business partner, yeah. but we do challenge each other and we take it in turn to have bad days. Yeah. Um, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday is mine. Uh, <laughs> no, it's, we, we do switch it up and you can't be positive all the time. We all have bad days, but you know, you, you do have to feed off of other people's energies and everyone's going to have bad days and you can't always be positive. So there's business partner, but also coaches, business coaches. So okay. I'm a big fan of um, Tony Robbins, but also Becky Holston. Yeah. Been on your podcast before. Yeah. Becky's um, great. She is great. And she helped me learn that after I'd lost all my money uh, with my not so good investment, I didn't lose anything. It was I invested in education. Okay. So you've just got to think, right, you could dwell on that and get you know, upset and disappointed, which I was doing at the time. But, you know, everything's in education now. So yeah. you can find ways to not do things. And with a franchise, for example, we've learned that we have spent an awful lot of money finding out how not to do things so other people don't have to. So it's it's not false being positive. It's just thinking, right, well, there are different ways of looking at it. And, you know, I, I tell the story of back in my fire brigade days of, you can turn up at a car crash, two people, head-on collision, identical cars, both walk away from it, from it fine, but one person will walk away saying, oh, my God, how lucky am I? Mm. And the other person walking away saying, oh, my God, that's the worst thing ever. Mm. Which one would you rather be? Yeah. Okay. Optimistic mindset. Yeah, I think, you know, these are the times you definitely need yeah. to be thinking that way because you will ask better questions. Yeah, I like that. You've said that once or twice, ask better questions. Yes. Yeah. It's great. It's a great saying. So you talked about Lanzarote earlier. Yep. So I normally ask, how do you reinvigorate yourself? <laughs> but I'm assuming Lanzarote windsurfing is your thing. You were uh, the national windsurfing champion for a period of time. I, I was back in my youth, so a while ago now, but uh, retired at the top. <laughs> so is that what you do? You get out in the water to re invigorate yourself um yes i mean windsurfing was always um something my brother and i did that was our sort of thing yeah he was always much better than me uh very annoyingly um, <laughs> but i got into sort of competing in what they call one design racing so everyone had the same kit and okay. we used to race twice a week and it was a bit of a challenge to sort of ask a better question although i didn't know that's what i was doing at the time to think well how can i get better and better because windsurfing is brilliant and i was always love going really fast in straight lines but yeah. then it's like after a while you get right i'm bored of that now and now yeah. what so how do i go fast round of boy <laughs> yeah so then it became right i can do all the tricks i can do all the going fast now i want a challenge so that's where the sort of racing started oh, okay so yeah i became national champion which was you know so long ago that it wasn't like a no big prize money or anything yeah uh back in the day i think i got a uh, glass that was so tokens i swear they they used to get the glasses with a little <laughs> sticker on but um you know that was great it was i am very competitive and i think that that helped me you know increase that competitiveness in, in me if you like brilliant fantastic and we touched you mentioned your brother there and actually it's been lovely today to spend some time with you steve because you know we've known of each other but yep. it's the first meaningful conversation we've ever had yeah but we do have a connection in the in the very early days of um, Inspire. I think your brother Robin was employee number five. I wow. think. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, and he he joined us and was a stalwart in our tax advisory team for a huge amount of time, over a decade. But actually, left us to join you. Yep. At the time, absolutely. But unfortunately, I learned last year. Obviously, he has early onset dementia. Yes. So. It wasn't diagnosed until he actually left you, came to work for us. And right. um, initially it was, it came across as depression. Yeah. So that's what everyone assumed it was. And it took actually a couple of years before it was diagnosed as what's actually called uh, early onset frontal temporal dementia. Right. I probably said that wrong. But um, it's, it's a particular type of dementia that occurs in younger people, often referred to as what's called Pick's disease, right. where... So he's only 46, I think, and over the last couple of years has rapidly sort of um, developed dementia from someone who's very fit, very intelligent, and very quickly lost the ability to speak. That's mm -hmm. part of the condition. So literally cannot talk, has lost, forgotten how to talk. And it's like dementia in 
older people yeah. um, as sort of forgets what to do, forgets where he's going, what he's doing, how to eat, how to drink. So now requires 24-7 carers. Yeah. Um, still incredibly fit. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I've unfortunately lost the ability to do a lot of things. And how do you... Because I always remember him talking about you and, and what you were up to and, you know, you're obviously close. How do you cope with that as a family? Um, well, they often say it's a lot harder for the family than it is the person suffering from dementia because... The reality is that with dementia, the brain shuts down and protects you. So yeah. you don't actually know that you've got okay. dementia. So he's stuck in a very happy mode. Yeah. We're very lucky in that respect. You could obviously be stuck in an angry or aggressive type of situation. Mm -hmm. He's in a happy place. But for the family, you know, we've sort of came to terms with it probably a couple of years ago now where right. you've sort of, you realize you've lost him. Mm. Um still there but you know, it's yeah. just you know you, you're watching him deteriorate over time fairly rapidly in the beginning um and it is you you see this regression um from you know healthy adult intelligent um mm. tax advisor much smarter than me to then you you go backwards from the teenage years then the sort of yeah. um childhood years and then uh, toddler almost so that's very hard to watch mm. um I'm often referred to as a person with no emotions, right. um, so I probably hide it very well. But for parents, it's got to be the hardest yeah. thing ever to watch. Definitely. You've tried to do something positive as a result. You, you know, you've tried, you're raising money yep. as a company and as an individual for Mind. So tell us a little bit about the charity and why you're – it's clearly – there's an obvious reason why you're passionate about the charity, but what do Mind do? So Mind help people with all sorts of conditions, not specifically with, with dementia, but sort of developing our travel business and the franchise business, we've always been about positive thinking, positive mental attitude. We've tried to help people develop as entrepreneurs. So with the Tony Robbins, we've sp sponsored Tony Robbins events in the past, but we realized that having this sort of positive mental attitude is great but it's also there's a flip side to that so you can't always be positive there are a lot of people who suffer from mental illness which is a more common phrase these days but depression or anxiety mm. or um situations where they don't know what to do so um we thought mind was a great charity to support because it does help people um, with all sorts of different conditions not just with robin's condition so we wanted to do something to help as many people as possible. And so we chose to sponsor Mind uh, last year. So we actually put on a charity trek to go to the Lost City in Mexico. Yeah. And we, yeah, we took a whole team of travel consultants away down to, to Mexico to find the Lost City, one of the most grueling things you'll ever do. Mm. And the team together raised wasn't just for mind we had a you had the choice of which charities you sponsor but most people opted for mind but we raised over 62,000 incredible for charity for that one trek so we had a whole sort of build up to it um throughout the year getting fit getting ready and my wife joined us uh, on the trek which was fantastic she's much better at that sort of thing than me <laughs> um so huge amount went into that trek and unfortunately I couldn't go no, I say unfortunately. I'm probably very grateful I didn't, didn't go, <laughs> but it was the the week that Thomas Cook went bust. Hey. So I had to stay behind. Uh, literally, I was literally the day before um, right. but, um, Thomas Cook. So my wife and the team uh, led. Off they the, went yeah. off. They went to what was sold, if you like, to us as a challenging trek, but something everyone could do. You've never seen rain and weather like it. Apparently. Yeah such grueling conditions paths turned into rivers uh, what should have been a four-hour trek turned into a 12-hour trek each day um, wow. roughing it so hats off to them they did an amazing job unfortunately i couldn't join them um i'm gonna have to say self-challenge <laughs> now steve so yeah this year we're gonna um raise more money again okay so we've got another way of raising money this year so yeah. um without the travel okay so uh, looking forward to doing that brilliant fantastic Final question for you. I tend to finish with this question. What's your definition of success? Uh, um, it's different for everybody. For me, it's about building things. 
So it's not about the money. The money's a great scorecard. It's a by-project. Yeah. But it's about helping other people become successful for me. That's um, And success is whatever they define it as, but I really enjoy helping people. So the more people I can help become successful, the better. Brilliant. Steve, it's been great. You're very humble. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, so I uh, achieved a lot, but very humble. And, it, and it's great just to learn more about your story today. So I've gone away inspired myself. So thank you for this conversation. If people want to learn more about Steve and the businesses, where can they go? Uh, best place is to go to the travelfranchise.com. There's all about me, business partner and our journey uh, to success. Brilliant. Thank you. You're welcome. I think what really stood out in my conversation with Steve was his willingness and conscious decision to repeatedly place himself outside of his comfort zone. It's clear that his mindset, as well as the advice from his father, to say yes and then work the details out later have been a significant factor in his own success and his ability to inspire and lead people during both the good times and the challenging ones. His honesty about his shyness and the way he has worked with it and even turned it into an advantage is a really good lesson and example of how it's not always necessary to be loud, brash and extrovert to become a successful entrepreneur. If you want further insightful content, details of our webinars and inspiration, then please do go to evolvemembers.com and register as a supporter for free to get access to the Evolve community. You can also learn more there about the peer groups run by Evolve and if you're based in Bournemouth and Paul, details of our co-working space in Ashley Cross. I really hope you've enjoyed this episode and please do continue to support the podcast, subscribe, rate and review. But for now, thank you for joining me and hope to catch up with you all again soon.